0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Probably True. This podcast contains strong language and adult themes throughout, because it'd be boring otherwise. There's something about doctors' waiting rooms, apart from the weird smell of bleach or whatever it is they use, it's more of a feeling, I think. Mild worry. A little regret, maybe. Something that goes with the outdated magazines and the vinyl seats in case someone oozes or dribbles everywhere. The one I'm in's a little different, I suppose, in that it's more tastefully decorated than you usually get on the NHS. It still has the vinyl chairs, though. I suppose however classy you make it, there's still the possibility of someone leaking. I'm here because I got a text from an anonymous number. Nothing that exciting, to be honest. Scott, a recent partner, tested positive for the SDI gonorrhea, brackets throat. Please, come and get tested. I I don't know why I'm doing that voice. And to be honest, I much prefer that as a method of finding out I might have an STI than the other way, which is waiting until you start pissing razor blades. That happened to me once, many years earlier. I was still at university at the time. I was in the single gay club in my university's tiny town, and there was an older guy who was flirting with me. I was grateful for the attention, any attention at that age. I was going through a bit of a hot mess phase. But I didn't think he was cute enough to take him home, so we ended up in a toilet cubicle, because that's exactly how classy I was when I was 18. He worked doing voiceovers or something. I know he loved the sound of his own voice because he wouldn't stop talking in between kissing me and sticking his hands down my pants. Mindful of our situation, and that we'd get barred if the bouncer us, I was getting a little bit nervous, but despite repeated requests, he would not shut the fuck up, so I shoved his head down there to keep him quiet. After enduring a teeth-gratingly uncomfortable couple of minutes, I made my excuses and left, seconds before a bouncer walked through the door. At that point, I was imagining myself as some kind of rebel hero. It's like something out of Queer as Folk, all cheeky charm and coming up smelling of roses. Uh, About a week later, I noticed things were a little bit sore down there, but I assumed I was just playing with myself far too much. I was a teenager, remember? So I thought nothing of it until the pain got worse and green goo became a thing. So, I did the responsible, grown-up thing and ignored it for a day or two in the hope that it would go away on its own. Eventually, the pain got pretty much unbearable, so I rang the city hospital and booked an appointment. Well, I tried. No one answered the phone. After a day or two of listening to the ringtone, I took myself and the feeling of having barbed wire inside my wang to the hospital. After wandering around, I found a knackered-looking porter cabin that was apparently the entire department. The first thing I noticed as I walked in was the phone ringing. Constantly. Everyone behind the desk is just ignoring it, tapping away on computers or filing things. One of the women looked up as I walked in. Hello, I say, not really sure if I'm supposed to explain myself or just drop my pants and whap it out on the table. I need an STI checkup. Do you have an appointment, she says, looking my scruffy student self up and down as if I was asking for a suite at the Ritz. No, I say. Well, you need an appointment. I tried to book, I said but I couldn't get through. There's this moment of silence be- Well, almost silence between us, apart from the constant ringing of the telephone. Our eyes meet, and it's like she's daring me to finish that sentence. But I don't. She has what I need, and we both know it. You need to keep trying, she says. I don't think she actually smirked as she said that, but in my mind, she threw back her head and laughed like some kind of demented demon. At this point... The infection itself came to my aid, almost as if taking pity on me. It delivered a twinge of pain, not unlike a shard of glass being pushed just a little bit further into my urethra. I winced. She noticed and said, ''Do you have symptoms right now?'' I nod silently. She sighs, tells me to take a seat, and they'll see me as soon as possible. ''But it might take some time.'' So this is how I became something of an expert when it comes to STI clinic waiting rooms. This one was straight out of the catalogue. It was drab, badly lit had photos of spectacularly disgusting STIs on the walls, year-old copies of gardening magazines, the lot. It took a couple of hours to get seen. All the time, the phone was ringing on the desk. No one ever answered it. After a while, the sound of this ringing telephone started to grow until it was filling my world. Eventually, there was nothing left in the entire universe but me and this constantly ringing phone. Luckily, just before I started screaming, a nurse called me into the consultation room. You don't mind if we have a student nurse in the room with us? This isn't a question. I nod anyway. It's important they get some hands-on experience. I nod again while cursing my graphic imagination. We start going through the usual questions, and I notice the student scribbling something down each time I answer. Name? Scribble. Date of birth? Scribble. Symptoms? Scribble, scribble. One of the questions the nurse asks is... How many sexual partners have you had in the past six months? I panic and half the number. She gives me a look I'll never forget. Blimey, you get about a bit. I'm too shocked to really respond to this, so I just laugh. Until I see the student nurse write what I'm almost certain was gets around a bit on the pad. I'm not sure I want that on my NHS record. I mean, it's all relative, but still... Anyway, after a good look at the affected area, and a poke with one of those sticks we've all heard the horror stories about, which she went at like she was cleaning a chimney, the cack moo, she sent me to see a doctor. The doctor didn't look up from the text he was sending for at least thirty seconds after I walked into the room, and he dealt with the whole thing like he'd much rather not be there, a sentiment I was beginning to share as I hovered, waiting for him to press send, apart from the burning in my nethers which was now extra sore from the nurse's jiggery-pokery. He had a student too but that one just sat in the corner silently and watched. Then the nurse and her student came in so we could all hear the diagnosis together. It was like some kind of parade, or the end of a crime novel where all the people involved had gathered in the drawing room to hear who'd done it. Or in this case, what is it? Anyway, after we'd all bonded over this exciting development, the doctor prescribed some pills and I took them. Just as I was heading for the door, the nurse wordlessly handed me a big bag full of condoms. As I walked down the street, my head spinning from the whole experience, I vowed never to get another blowjob in a nightclub toilet again. And, since there's no way you can check, let's assume I stuck to that forever. Anyway, back to the present day, in a much nicer, cleaner and classier joint. It's based in central London, and it's been pretty much designed to be the opposite of all the things I encountered ten years ago in a small town in the Midlands. No one's tutting at me for getting around a bit, I can book online, up-to-date magazines in the waiting room, the whole shebang. No heavy-handed ramming of an uncomfortable stick into tender places, and there's no photographs of STIs. The worst it gets is Cheryl Cole on the TV in the corner, but that's not even their fault. This time, of course, I've got no symptoms. It's just a check-up because I got that text. But even so, there's a vague tension, a little speck of randomised dread in the pit of my stomach, that something somehow isn't going to be quite right. Happily... It's not a feeling I'll have to live with for very long, as testing nowadays gets the results to you in a text the same day. But even so, there's that hour or two after the test, before the results arrive, where I can't help but worry. And I look back over decisions I've made recently, trying to pin down any one moment that could be to blame in case the tests came back positive. And while I'm stealing myself, reminding myself that the results of this test are my responsibility and no one else's, I start to think of all the things outside my control that might have happened. Condoms occasionally fail, after all. Was I sure they hadn't, every single time? Of course not. No one could be. I start thinking about PrEP, this little pill that can stop HIV infection if it's taken once a day by anyone who might be at risk, and how I'd happily take that if it meant this growing knot of dread in my stomach would go away. I'm at a loose end, so I do a little research on it, And it would be cheaper for the NHS to fund PrEP as a preventative measure than it is to fund the antiretrovirals I'd need if I contracted HIV. And then, as I read into the reasoning behind why PrEP isn't widely available, it all seemed to boil down to the idea that somehow, if it were available, it would be abused and that people would indulge in riskier behaviour. PrEP has the potential to be a useful tool alongside condoms, not instead of them. Think about it. If I alone take PrEP, great. I'm not going to get HIV. If lots of people who have similar sex lives to me take it, then none of them will get HIV, which will mean that everyone they have sex with will be at less risk of getting HIV. It makes perfect sense. There's still this lingering idea that somehow HIV is a gay disease and that it's not really a problem for everyone else, as if somehow a virus can tell. This is really offensive, obviously, and truly stupid when you know that almost half... Of all the infections in 2014 were most likely contracted from heterosexual sex. After I learned about this, I asked around my friendship groups a little and found that while most of my gay friends use condoms most of the time, absolutely none of my straight friends do. The girls use the pill and the boys assume that the girls are all on the pill so they don't need to use a condom. Speaking of the pill, this whole situation seemed very reminiscent to me of when the contraceptive pill was first available in the 60s and women finally had control over what happened to their bodies. I couldn't help but feel that somehow the government and those running the NHS were giving me the same look that nurse had all those years ago. It was at this point, as I was really getting into this, that the text with my results arrived. Everything was fine and there was nothing to worry about. This time.